Pottercast with Greg Wallace in three, two, one. Welcome to this edition of the Pottercast. I'm Michael Potter. Thanks a bunch for joining us. I'm joined by Greg Wallace, uh, affectionately referred to as Wally here, head coach at Grand Canyon University. How does that sound, head coach at Grand yeah. Canyon University? Yeah, well, it was a, a little bit of a, a, a shock to hear that. That's one of the first times I've heard myself announced as head coach, but um, obviously I'm just so fortunate to to be in this position and grateful for it. So it, it's great. I'm ready to, to go. Today's actually our first day that we get to get on the field. So um, I'm just ready to roll. You know? Well, hey, so I always have to ask this. What Do you like to be called head coach, manager, skip? I mean, baseball is one of those things where there's so many different <laughs> yeah. titles for the, I, for the guy in charge. I'll be honest. I'm so new as a head coach. Today's my first day of practice. I, I'm still going by Wally until uh, <laughs> I think I got to win a few games before they could call me anything uh, but Wally or, or, or anyone. So. I haven't. I, I don't know yet. <laughs> you got to get some W's before yes. you call you Skip or yeah. anything like yeah, that. Yeah, no right? doubt about that. Got <laughs> to get uh, a, a W before any of that. Right, so. right. Well, hey, thanks for joining us. And for those out there listening, you know, Greg Wallace has been with GCU for over nine years. Um, Andy Stankowitz left, went to USC, and Wallace interviewed, got the job. It's really great. I mean, I think one thing about baseball that's so interesting to me is it's so important, I think, that consistency. How important do you think it is to the program? You know, you getting the job, you've been here for nine years, you kind of know the school. Um, the school's different than other schools. They pride themselves on being different than other schools. And and you've been here, so you kind of know mm-hmm. the game plan, and you've assembled a great staff. Yeah, thank you. Uh, I think it definitely helps with a, a smooth transition, um, you know, just in all areas, uh, recruiting, kind of knowing the 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 kids who are coming in in the 23 class, the kids who are recruiting in 24, and just um, knowing the personality of the, the current team and the players. I, I think there's a comfort level um, with with the transition now knowing that that I know all these guys I know their families um, I've recruited most of them or if, if not all of them um, here so it, it made the transition smoother I think from an administrative standpoint and from a personnel standpoint for sure all right I gotta ask you this this portal thing is crazy yeah. in yeah. all sports like yeah. it's insane and with the COVID and the being able to transfer you know without sitting out and who knows how all that stuff is going to break down but you know I've talked to, to coach Drew I've talked to other coaches in, in 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 basketball we don't obviously have a football program here but you know I talked to the coach when I was doing some whack games for Lamar and he was saying we're almost like a, a minor league system we, we get a kid nobody mm-hmm. wants we, we we coach him up for two years and then boom he hits the portal and goes somewhere else yeah. it's it's kind of nuts yeah there, there's always that that possibility um of kind of being a uh, that's what we're trying to avoid though is, <laughs> right. is being a feeder program for um you know for other schools so i think it just really brings so much accountability to what you're doing at you know as as a coach um how you're developing players you know how they how they enjoy the experience not just on the field but at the university so uh you know i i actually think the portal's a good thing um because it creates options both both ways. If someone's not having a good experience, um, you know, they don't. I don't think they should be bound to to staying here. And if if someone feels like this isn't the right spot for them and wants to kind of test what's out there for them, uh, I know it's wild, but having options isn't bad. And I, at the end of the day, I think it's it's our job to create such a good experience that guys don't want to leave. And that's not going to always happen. Um, but 
I want to create a great experience, um, kind of have the opportunity to compete for championships, have the opportunity to get guys drafted out of here at a really good good level and, and show these guys that want to come here that they can accomplish everything that they want at Grand Canyon um, and build a relationship where, where they don't want to leave. So it's not always going to happen, but that's the goal. And and then you, the portal can work for you as well. You know, I think we picked up some nice players out of the portal. We um, got a kid from the University of Arkansas that was a 53-game starter, um, Zach Gregory. So, he, so he's joined the program, and we're excited about him. We got um, a, a local kid that was actually at uh, Cal State Bakersfield, Cody Tucker, who's throwing, you know, 92 to 95, um, grad transferred o- over here. So really excited about him. He's from Mesa, Mesa High School. And then Eli Payton, who big hitter out of Southern California that was at UCLA and um, just decided he wanted to to get in the portal, look for something different. And we got him over here. And he's just a physical left-handed hitter that, that knows how to hit. So uh, we're excited about him. So I, I think that the portal's wild. Um, until they change the rules, it's something that we got to deal with. So we got to try really, really hard to um, recruit great players and then retain them. And then, uh, you know, look at the portal to also fill some needs that that maybe we feel like if we're losing guys uh, to the draft or to graduation, um, is there someone that can come in from the portal that can help us immediately, um, uh, you know, kind of keep the train moving. So probably just one of the many changes over your, your baseball career um, t- take me back even further though. Grew up in SoCal. Yep. Yes. W- w- what were you like as a kid? What was your, your yeah. growing up experience yeah, like was, for you? Yeah. You could ask my wife about that. She doesn't <laughs> think I did anything but baseball. Um, and I might not have, it was, um, I kind of attribute my passion for baseball to my father. Um, growing up in our house, it was Dodgers, mm. uh, Dodger games, 162 a year. Um, if we weren't going to the game. The game was on the radio. I'm not that old. I'm almost 40, but um, when I was growing up, you still sometimes couldn't get road games on TV. You had to bring out the radio and listen to Vince Scully. Um, so we were listening to the radio. If it was not on TV, if it was on TV, we were watching KTLA, um, Dodger baseball, Vince Scully announcing. And so I think that fostered my passion for the game, um, you know, because my dad was going to watch every game. He still does. He's mm. the biggest Dodger fan that there is and he still watches every single Dodger game and so growing up it became from being a Dodger fan to getting a chance to you know get out there and play little league baseball and then go to a high school at Chatsworth High School that was kind of the um, where I wanted to go I want to go to Chatsworth High School because coach Tom Usborne had built really a dynasty in the in LA Valley Um, if you were from the area from the valley you knew Chatsworth High School was doing it better than anybody else. Um, so I uh, wanted to get to Chatsworth, and it was just an amazing experience playing for Coach Musborn at Chatsworth High School. On a side note, that's not a bad that's not bad youth uh, listening to Vince Scully call baseball games. No, no. It, it You know, there was no one like him. Um, no, not, not I, even close. Not even close. <laughs> and, um, you know, ironically, I don't, I'm not back in California a ton, but I was at my parents' house this summer when we found out Vince Scully passed away. Mm. And, and, of course, it was during the Dodgers-Giants game, and I think that that was probably the only way that, that it could happen. So, um, yeah, he was a big part of my childhood. And I still think I learned a lot of baseball, I know, from listening to him because he was so good at breaking down the game and what was going on. 
Yeah, it's interesting. In my broadcast career, people ask me, you know, you know who who I, I look up to, and of course, Vin is the number one guy for baseball. And they go, oh, do, you, "Do you try to emulate him?" I'm like, "No, it's useless. Like you can't. <laughs> he he's a, he you can't do what he does. I, right. It's just he's just the best, you know." Yeah, yeah, best. I, he's <laughs> definitely, the, I think, the best there ever ever was or will be. And I, yeah, the, listening to him growing up was just fond memories. So. Yeah. So did you did you always? I mean, was it always baseball? Did you play other sports? Um, I. I Played every sport, but baseball was the only one I really played competitively. I mm. still like to play pickup hoops and throw the football around, but but nothing. Um, once I got to high school, it was baseball, and um, I actually love multi-sport athletes now. Mm-hmm. And I, going back, I kind of wish I would have done more. I went into a program at Chatsworth that was so competitive, and I had you know wanted to play uh, my I wanted to play on JV team as a freshman you know because the freshman team was so good and it was rare that JV that freshmen get to play on JV um, mm-hmm. at that time at Chatsworth High School and I knew that if I played football or basketball my chances to to make that JV team missing the the fall were not going to be good so I wanted to go in and I play the fall season for for Chatsworth um and so just kind of never played other sports Looking back, wish I had, um, and I encourage that now. I love recruiting multi-sport athletes, football, baseball, um, basketball, baseball guys. I think multi-sport athletes are, um, they bring uh, so much upside sometimes because they there's so much, you know, they've developed some other athleticism through the other sports that they're playing. And a lot of times when you get those guys, um, they're not, even close to a finished product, so they're they're great for uh, development. Yeah, we talked about the changes in baseball. There's it seems like there's a lot less guys. It seems like young kids and their parents feel the pressure to pick a sport at an earlier age and focus and play it year round, whether it be football, baseball, or basketball, especially baseball, and mm-hmm. if they're in a in a warm climate. Yeah, I think just you know with the development world has changed so much with you know going from club ball and facilities and travel seasons and high school seasons there's just always options to to play baseball and I do think people feel like if they are not in baseball year-round they're going to fall behind or get behind in recruiting or something like that I don't necessarily think that's true um, but some people feel that way and so they they've just feel like they dedicated baseball and I guess to an extent I did that too I felt like if I didn't you know get into the program and prove myself in the fall that I wasn't going to get to, to, you know, play on the JV team. You know, looking back, if I had played basketball and played on the freshman, it probably wouldn't change my career too much. Um, but mm-hmm. I probably, uh, who knows, who knows what, what would happen. I, I can't, you know, predict that and yeah. don't regret it. But, you know, I, I, I do think, uh, um, I am all for multi, multi-sport athletes. So it sounds like you got you had a plan from a young age. Were you were you yeah. always like that? Were you just born that way? Like no, like thinking ahead, like oh, I want to play Chatsworth. I want to not play other sports so I can make sure I make this. Yeah, no, I I think you know I don't really know. I just know that back then there was no social media, right? So when you got the <laughs> when you got the L.A. Daily News, the good me, old days. <laughs> yeah, being from L.A., you got the L.A. Daily News or the L.A. Times, you know, sports section and. All you saw was Chatsworth baseball, you know, mm. and so I think for me, and I lived in Chatsworth, so it was like, no, I just, that that was just, I, I knew that they were the the best school out there, so I wanted to go be part of it, you know, and a lot of people, I'd, kids I'd play with in Little League went there, and um, so it was just something. If you grew up in the Valley and played at Northridge Little League or, or Chatsworth youth, ba- youth Baseball, you wanted to go play at Chatsworth High School, you know. 
those were the good old days as 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 an older guy older than you um i remember the, you know the grew up in kc the royals you know you couldn't get them all the time you'd try to listen to the radio but it'd be a late game and you have to wake up the next morning and open the open the paper Sporting. look at the box score right and you could kind of you could get a feel for the game by looking through the box score and things like that and so that was always kind of fun to 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 look at box scores in the newspaper which i haven't yeah. done in i don't know 30 years. <laughs> haven't done it. Haven't done it forever. But yeah, it used to be if the Dodgers were on the East Coast, you'd have to wake up and, and you know, right. l- look at the, the box, the box score um, to see kind of what they were, what they were doing or, you know. So. Yeah. Yeah. That was, I, I remember one time in the, uh, in the old days, I had to do a speech in class and explain. I think it's explanatory speech. I had to explain something. So I, I recreated a Kansas City Royals box score on a big poster board, and I explained to everybody how to read a box score. That yeah. was my speech when I was a kid. I was right. so into baseball. Right. But So you go to Chatsworth. Did you make the team, your JV, your freshman year? I made JV okay. my freshman year, yeah. yeah. So I was one of two freshmen on the JV team, yeah. Uh, what position? I was a, I was a middle infielder in, uh, in high school and college, and then I moved around more in college. So, um, yeah, moved out, moved to third, moved to left, moved to first, kind of moved everywhere in, in college. What was that Chatsworth High School experience like for you? I mean, you'd kind of you'd, you'd they were the top. What was that like for you playing there for four years? Yeah, it was it was it was a great experience learning kind of how Coach Museborn did things. He ran such a great program, and I've mentioned this before when I spoke about him. But he had culture before culture was a buzzword, right? Mm. So you could just feel um, the culture at Chatsworth when you went there and when you put on the uniform. You were expected that. You were going to go out there, and you sh- you were going to be the best team on the field. And uh, the, his organization of practices, I think it really prepared me for down the road. I, I he was the first really great coach, and then I, I've been fortunate to play or coach with others. But all kind of prepared me to be a coach myself. But Coach Musburn was the first one I got to see. You know, you'd go to at lunchtime, you'd go pick up your practice plan, and it wasn't. You know, you you'd know exactly. He you know that. He had practice planned out. He had a, a vision of, of what we were going to accomplish, and and you learned a lot, you know, going through his practice plans and his practices and the way he organized, you know, a fall, a spring, and, and how he got after it. So I um, think it helped me become a coach, really. That seems rare for a high school coach to be that buttoned up. Was was that rare? Were a lot of coaches doing that back then, or do you yeah, know? I, I actually I don't know. I, I, I don't know – you know, kind of what was going on. I just know that he had his system of how he did things yeah. and ran things, and it was a, an unbelievable place to to play and and learn. Yeah, you talked about some of the coaches. We'll, we'll hit on a few of them, but uh, then you go to college at UC Irvine, and I, I didn't realize it. So John Savage was yeah. the coach. I mean, he's well-known now, yeah. <laughs> was, but he wasn't John Savage at the time. Was he? What was that like playing for Savage? Yeah, another just, you know, one of the best coaches in the country right now. And so – Obviously, he didn't. I played for him on his first team as a head coach. Yeah. Um, but he had a great reputation as an assistant coach. He was coming from USC. He had been the pitching coach for Mike Gillespie. Uh, I think his last season before he got hired at Irvine, um, they'd won a national championship. He'd coached Mark Pryor and and Barry Zito, and I think he was. <laughs> They're the, pretty good. Yeah, they are. Right. <laughs> he was the 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 top assistant coach. Um, you know in the country and so when he got hired at uc irvine um everybody in the baseball community that i talked to when i was leaning on people for advice on where to go to school said if if you're serious about baseball you need to go play for john savage um at uc irvine so i took their advice and uc irvine was a, a obviously a great school in a great area it was local enough for my parents to 
come see me play, but far enough from home where I felt like I was, I was, you know, getting away a little bit and kind of growing up. But, uh, yeah, he was an, another, I went from coach me one to coach Savage and, um, two of the best in their fields. Yeah. Talk about changes, you know, with everything going on with the new coaches and changes and, and stinky going over to USC and stuff, talking with some kids under the age of 30 and one literally said, did you, did you realize USC and ASU used to have really good baseball programs? All right. <laughs> and I was like, USC was, I mean, they're, they're the goat, like as mm-hmm. far as champions, they've fallen on a hard time since, uh-huh. but, but yeah, it was, it was Texas, USC and ASU were kind of the, yeah. the big ones back then. Oh, no doubt. Yeah. Traditional program, blue blood, you got Texas, you got LSU, you got LSU, LSU yeah. and USC, um, Florida state. Yeah. Those, those programs are the blue bloods and in, in college baseball. And, um, obviously they've got unbelievable tradition. Um, at all those places. What other schools were you looking at other than Irvine? Um, Do you remember? Yeah, yeah. I think, you know, I I was looking at Cal State Northridge. That was the local option. I was getting recruited by Santa Clara. Um, and then I was talking to UCLA and Cal Berkeley a little bit as well, um, but kind of made the choice to go to, to UC Irvine because I felt like they wanted me the most. And Coach Savage um, and his staff, Jason Gill, uh, Pat Shine, mm. I could just feel like they they wanted me the most there, and they were um, investing in me as a, as a player. Um, so it was a, it was a pretty easy choice to go to UC Irvine. So back then, Savage was kind of doing what you're doing now first first time as a head coach, yeah. but had been in a in a good program and learned and mm-hmm. had a lot of coaches he had learned from before. Anything um, from him that you still kind of think about, or it, can you put into where you've had some great coaches mm-hmm. <laughs> that you've worked with? But yeah. anything from Savage particularly? Yeah, from from Coach Savage, well, just you know his his professionalism that he showed up with every day um, of how he wanted to run the program. And same thing, his structure of how he ran practice. Um, and even though this wasn't something that, as a player, you looked at, but I understood how well he was recruiting at the time. I mean, I just kind of always kind of looking at things, and I I would you know help on the official visits or just kind of was interested in, in recruiting even back then. And I would see kind of the level of talent that he was able to recruit to UC Irvine, which was a brand new program. So that was something that always stood out to me about coach Savage besides, you know, how he organized practice and how he organized a pitching staff. Now I, he was our head coach, but he was the pitching coach. So my kind of day to day instruction was with the position coaches. It was Jason Gill and, Pat Shine, um, but I did see kind of from afar Coach Savage's system for pitching and thought that it was obviously really well organized. He's known as one of the best head coaches, but also pitching coaches in the country, so kind of learned from that too. All right, give us the secrets. What's the secret to recruiting? Oh, <laughs> shoot. I don't – I don't – I think it's about fit. I mean, I think that it's – especially in baseball, there's so many good players. Um, and, um, you know, I think it's about finding kids that are the right fit for your program and, um, that their family is, is the right fit and they feel that they're the, they're the right fit. So there's no like magic bullet. I don't think about recruiting. I think it's about building relationships. Um, it's about showing kids that why you value them for your program and, what their opportunity is to develop on the field and off the field as as a 
baseball player, but also just as, as overall as a person, you know? Um, so I think it's, it's a lot about the program. It's a lot about the university and it's a lot about what the kids looking for, um, for their experience, you know? Baseball is so interesting. It seems at every level, you know, in football and basketball, when you're recruiting guys, there's not a lot of talk about development. There's some, you know, obviously a lot of mid-majors have to get talent and develop and things like that. But baseball, you know, even you talk to pro scouts, they're watching a kid who's killing it or maybe not killing it in college, but they're projecting where he'll be four years later after they get their hands on him. And there's a little bit of that even when you're, I mean, obviously there's some kids you look at and you go, holy cow, this kid's got it right now. We just need to fine tune. But a lot of them are probably like, oh, he's got some tools in our program, we can develop that. Yeah, that's why baseball is beautiful, and that's that's why it's so unique. That's why mid-majors in baseball can win a national championship. I think the last was Coastal Carolina. I could be wrong. Um, I think you're right, yeah. But that's why, you know, you can have a lot of success stories at the mid-major level in baseball because it's unique, and um, I think kids develop in baseball at all different times. I mean, you look at kind of who the best players are coming out of high school – aren't always necessarily who the best players are coming out of college. And then the best players coming out of college aren't always the best players that are coming out of, you know, when they get to pro ball. So the development curve in baseball is just unique. It's sometimes unpredictable. Sometimes you can't explain why, um, you know, one guy develops into an All-American and another guy doesn't. Um, And it's one of the beauties of baseball. You kind of look for certain things with actions. And for me, it's always kind of recall of, past players um that you've seen be successful and what they look like and how they do things and when you see that on the field whether it's on the mound or um on in the field at the plate uh you you kind of can project a little bit um you know for us you know when I see a a fielder we've got a a kid in our program named Emilio Barreras and, and when I would watch him in high school I would think that's the actions of Chani Ortiz at shortstop right there. And so for me right away, I'm like, and that's a guy that we've got to, got to start recruiting. Uh, now he, I think at the time he's, you know, weighs 145 pounds mm-hmm. like Chani did, but then you got to look out front and say, he's got the skill set of someone that can play at this level. If you're looking at our team or if we're playing, um, you know, university of Arizona and you're looking across the field at their athletes, um, you're looking for guys that possess that skill set Maybe not the strength at the time that that you're recruiting them, but the skill set, kind of the actions, um, the look of what you see it on a daily basis at the Division One level. And if you get enough of those guys that have that skill set, um, some of them pop and turn into next level type of guys. You know, and it's unpredictable, and that's why it's beautiful. Johnny's a great example of that, right? I mean, playing you know pro ball now as high as Triple A. Um, but came to GCU and then went to Duco route for a year, then came back. And I don't know his entire story, but just, just kept working, kept working. Yeah, yeah. So, he, yeah, he came here out of high school, Apollo High School down the street, um, and really had just what I just, just was talking about, all the actions that you look for in a really good player. I mean, when he took a ground ball, it looked like someone you would see, um, you know, at uh, – when you when you when you go to a minor league game or when you go to a big league game, his actions were there. At the plate, he had the approach of a really advanced hitter. He had the swing of a really advanced hitter. He just didn't have the strength yet um, when he tran- when he came from high school to 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 college. Um, coming back, I think as a sophomore, I, th- I think we had an older infield, and it was you know 
we all decided like, hey, why don't you go and play a season at Yavapai? Um, get stronger, get 200 at bats under your belt. Where if you come back to GCU, maybe you get you know 40 or 50. Um, but for your development, I think everyone thought that it was best for Chani to go to Ju- JUCO and get stronger and play every day. And he thought that as well. And he did it. He went and did great at Yavapai. Um, came back here and played every day. His from his you know his junior year got cut short because of yeah. COVID, but he was having an outstanding year. His junior year and then obviously his senior year, an amazing year. One of our leaders um, let us. Uh, you know, I think he hit eight home runs, you know, shut down shortstop and led us to our first regional. Pretty big one against U of A, too. <laughs> <laughs> big one against U of A. And I'll never forget the play he made uh, in the WAC championship game. I mean, um, it was one of the best plays I've ever seen and maybe the, one of the biggest moments. I want to say we were down 4 nothing in game, in a, in a WAC t- title game, 4 nothing, 3 nothing, second and third, two outs, a ball to the deep six hole, full extension layout, gets up, bang, bang, play at first, gets the out. Uh, one of the best plays I think I've ever seen, I'll ever see, and especially the magnitude of the moment, him making that play in that spot. Um, one of the biggest plays in probably GCU mm. Division One era, and you don't always think of stuff like that when you think about, uh, you know, you think about the big hit, you think about the walk-off against against U of A or, mm-hmm. or the those type of things. But that play he made against UTRGV in the six hole, it, that, that might have been the reason we showed up in our fir- or we won that tournament and got the opportunity to go to our first regional. I'll never forget that play. It was amazing. The mentality, and not, not to, you know, a lot of players have to have it, but, you know, to be able to say, hey, yeah, I'm, I'm going to leave D1. I'm going to go to JUCO. Mm-hmm. I'm going to get stronger. And then I'm going to come back and do this. And just to grind through it, you, you can see the actions. You call them, you know, hey, he's got the actions of a guy mm-hmm. next level. We can work with that. How do you judge the mentality of a kid? Because that's so important in baseball. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, that, that is. Uh, it's it's really hard, uh, especially in the recruiting process. Mm-hmm. Um, it's hard to tell till you kind of get to be around them every day. You can do your homework, though. Um, that's why, you know, in the recruiting process, we try to talk to as many people as possible. Obviously, we meet with every, every kid here on campus, and you get a feel for that when you bring them on an unofficial or an official visit, talking to them, talking to their parents. You get a little bit of a feel for that side of it, the mentality, the character of the kid, but you never truly know until you get them in their program, in your program every day. Um, talking to the high school coach is a big thing because they're around them every day. Talking to people that are, um, you know, kind of been around the, the, the student athlete more than you get the chance to. We get to go see him three times, hmm. um, get him to a camp, get him on a visit, and it's always the honeymoon phase, right? But it's the day-to-day stuff that really reveals the character so i try to talk to the high school coach with every recruit that we have um and and then you get them around every day and and you get a feel you see who the workers are you see who the guys that are really passionate about the game and the program and their teammates and and you just kind of that's a daily evolving thing and then as a coach you also want to help them grow so i think that's kind of the thing now that i'm you know started in 2006 as a student assistant and I didn't understand that side it took a while for that side of coaching for me to develop that you know when you get I think at least for me I stayed around um, wanted to coach because of the competitive aspect I mean I love baseball I love getting out and 
um, being part of the game and, and trying to win baseball games. Right. And that's how you think kind of, I, at least as a, as a young coach. And then the longer you do it, the more you realize that the character side, the mentality side, um, however you get guys, that's not necessarily, um, I, you, we never want to put them in a box, you know, so can you help them? And that's always something that I look at if, um, if they've got the skill set to be here, can we help them with their mentality? Can we help them build an approach on the field? Can we help them become better students? Can we help them become better people in the community? And if you can do that, um, that's and that's kind of the goal. Now, that being said, obviously we're trying to win baseball games. Right. So you have to get the guys that can help you, that you think can help you do that, um, but you want to help them along the way in all those other aspects as well. Yeah, I thought it was interesting. I, I read a quote uh, Steve Kerr said, uh, kind of his culture that he tries to create, and he talked about they want to have fun with what they do. They want to work hard. But his last point was there are winners and losers in what we do, and it's way more fun to win. We want to win. But there are losers, so yeah. you, they, you, there's a winning and losing aspect to this as well. <laughs> there's the no <laughs> doubt about that. I mean, winning teams typically are, are ones that have fun, right? So it's no fun when you're not winning games or having successful seasons um the game's still beautiful you know but um the fun of it is getting a group of guys that are on the same mission together and and they're seeing success um and seeing wins and series wins and accomplishing uh goals that that they want to accomplish so um yeah I, i said that yesterday in our first team meeting um you know with the transition of uh, me being a new head coach, guys know me as the assistant coach. And when you're in an assistant coach role, you're 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 in a little bit of a different role. So I have got a, a different relationship with a lot of the returners than than maybe a head coach would have had. But I was really wanted to stress to them that even though we want to have fun and we want to enjoy what we're doing, we don't it's not participation trophy kind of fun. Like um it's also we're we're on a mission to um, be the best team that we can be, uh, not necessarily winning the WAC, winning the WAC tournament. Obviously, those are our goals. Um, showing up in a regional, having the team to compete to win a regional. Um, I said that those are our goals. That's not the end-all, be-all. But I feel like if we're on the same mission together and getting better every day and and um, working our butt off for these goals, enjoying the challenge of trying to do all that stuff, that we'll be fine, you know, um, and – so I did stress that we want to have fun. We want to have a great time, but it's it's not uh, it's not rec ball, you know. So, are so so it's not like you're a little bit you're, you're kind of intentional on that. Um, I was I was wondering about this, you know, s- some programs because you're talking to 18 to 22, 23 year old kids, right? Um, right? Some programs are hey, the clubhouse and the dugout. That's the office, man. Like mm-hmm. that's the office, right? All the way to like Tennessee, where. That's a party, <laughs> you yeah. know, and, and <laughs> I mean, they have a lot of fun, but they're really good, too. Is that just like an intentionality? Is that like the culture you want to create? Is that just, hey, you see the guys you get and you kind of go with it? How does that all work? Yeah, out? no, I, that's a great point, because I've thought of I've, I've been around different. I've seen different styles work really, really well. Um, and then, yeah, you point to the University of Tennessee and I don't know what their, you know, clubhouse rules are like or what they're really what we don't know. Uh, you know, from the outside looking in is what their practices are like, mm. um, you know, what their meetings are like, what their daily works like. You see that result on game day um, and they have a lot of fun and it's a loose group and a confident group. Um, but 
from the outside looking in, you don't you don't really know the day to day of that. I would love our team to be like that on game day two. Um, not necessarily, um, you know, saying that we're going to go out there and be a party in the dugout, but I want us to be loose and confident and feel like um, we're enjoying playing the game. But I know that for us to do that, we're going to have to accomplish a lot in practice. And so it can't always just be fun and games and practice. We're going to try to structure things where guys can enjoy being on the field and enjoy the hard work that goes into it, just like always, right? It's There's a lot of fundamentals we're going to have to get in. Um, we're going to have to be a really fundamental team. We've been great at that here in the past. Um, so that's a challenge for me as a head coach is maintaining that and getting trying to build off that. Um because we've been extremely fundamental. We've played great defense. We've pitched. We've thrown strikes. We're, we, we've hit. Um, and trying to take what we've done and move it forward, it, it's going to be a big challenge. But I, I think I'm ready. I'm excited about the challenge. And I know everyone in the clubhouse is. And I know my coaching staff is excited about that challenge. So. Yeah, I mean, being, being, being an older guy and the old school baseball, kind of more traditional baseball, I've always, though, enjoyed when people show emotion. It, it, at the, I mean, there's winners, there's losers, but it is a game. You're getting right. to play a game, and you're at this age where I think you can celebrate and have a really good time. I don't think it's showing up the other team. It's like, can you act like you're having fun at least, you know? Yeah, yeah, I want that. I want us to, to be able to enjoy being out there. I want our our emotions uh, to come out, but I want them channeled in the right way. Um, so I always feel like, if if your energy and your emotions are channeled towards positive energy for your teammates, uh, you're never going to have a problem. I don't want us to ever, you know, uh, get emotional towards an opponent or show opponents up. But if your energy is channeled for your teammates and it's all positive energy towards your teammates, um, I don't think anyone gets offended by that. So that's what I want us. I want us to be really excited about our teammates and the success our teammates are having and, and um, you know, be about us, you know. Well, you know, talking about Tennessee, they had a really good time <laughs> in their yeah. in their dugout, and so you knew there were going to be a lot of people just waiting for them to get knocked yeah. out. And then, of course, the social media starts hammering. To me, the fact that they lost wasn't because they're too loose or the way they. It's really hard to win. Mm-hmm. It's it's really tough when you get to that high that high air to go and win. And a, a team like Ole Miss, who barely gets in, gets on a roll and they get the job done. A team like Tennessee, who rolled all year. Sometimes you just don't have it. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, it's baseball, and, and like that's not to minimize things, but um, in a baseball game, anyone can can beat anyone at any time. Um, we've just gone over this with, you know, looking at the WAC tournament. Um, the the eight seed at any given moment can beat the one seed. Um, everyone's got an ace when you're in tournament baseball. Uh, when you're in playoff baseball, when you're talking about a regional, um, you know, you don't show up in a super regional without having a really good club and Notre Dame had a really good team and Tennessee was also and obviously one of the best teams in college baseball history but um, it's a baseball weekend and anything can happen when you've got that's the, again the beauty of baseball you got two great teams playing and Notre Dame played better that weekend Tennessee was the best team all year but Notre Dame played better that weekend and, and that's why they got to go to Omaha and it has um, you know it doesn't take anything away from the unbelievable year that that University of Tennessee had. So, yeah, when people were talking, hey, would you take Tennessee or the field this year? You always take the field because anything can happen. But this right. was the first year I was like, oh, I yeah. don't know. I'm tempted to take Tennessee. They they were right. so they good. They were good. Yeah, credit to what they're doing over there. I mean, recruiting and developing and and um, 
you know, fostering an environment where their guys are really confident and, and playing great baseball. So, well, and a good segue here. I mean, you 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 were on the staff at UC Irvine after you mm-hmm. after you stopped playing a couple of years, but then you you hooked up in Cal State Fullerton and Tennessee, Dave mm-hmm. Serrano, and I mean, what was that like? I mean, so you, we've already talked about you know your 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 coach in high school was a great coach. The Savage was your college coach. Then your was he still the head coach when you were on the staff there? Uh, no, so uh, Coach Had Savage he? got the UCLA job. Uh, after my junior year, so we okay, we made so a regional. There, like three years, yeah, three yeah, years. Gotcha, gotcha. We made a regional in '04. Um, it was the first regional in D1 history for UC Irvine. We actually got to go out to Notre Dame, um, and then after that tournament, Coach Savage got the UCLA job, and Coach Serrano came in from Cal State Fullerton. It was 2004. Cal State Fullerton had just won a national championship, and uh, Coach Serrano came over to be our head our head coach at Irvine. So, so he had won the national championship at Fullerton and then came over to Irvine to be the head coach. Yeah, he was the pitching coach. It was uh, a very similar to, to Coach pitching Savage, coach he was pitching coach, recruiting coordinator at Cal State Fullerton. I think he had been for eight or nine years. Um, and then uh, when Coach Savage left for UCLA, Coach Serrano came over to UC Irvine. So, so you were on his. So you played for him mm-hmm. a year, and then you were on his staff. And then did you go with? Then you went to Fullerton and then Tennessee. Was that all with Serrano? Yes. Mm-hmm. So um, was very fortunate enough that after my senior year at, at Irvine, um, Coach Serrano and the coaching staff at the time kind of asked me what my future plans were. Um, and I was leaving to go back home, and I didn't know what I was going to do. But I had always had aspirations to stay in baseball. Um, so Coach asked me if I wanted to stick around for the summer and work some camps, right? They've got youth camp, four, four weeks of youth camp, um, a couple prospect camps, and uh, I was excited about the opportunity. I had I was lucky in the sense that I had a sister living not far. Um, she was just married. She was living within a 30 minutes of UC Irvine at the time, so I was able to stay with her for the summer, kind of figure out what I wanted to do, work summer camps, and, and then ended up sticking around on on Coach Serrano's uh, staff and really I think it was I considered an internship to to the coaching world I wasn't didn't have a ton of responsibilities um on the coaching staff but I got to learn everything that was going on I got to really kind of um get my feet wet in the division one coaching side and and learn the game from the other side I knew it as a player I had gone through it four years as a player and that was my first experience from the coaching side and and then you went with him to Fullerton and then Tennessee? Yes. So, so I, seven years with Serrano, basically? Yeah, so I was with okay. uh, two at Irvine, three, yes, two at Irvine, three at Fullerton, and two at Tennessee. And then nine years here with yes. Coach Stankiewicz. Yes. So so you go from Savage, Serrano, Stankiewicz, I mean, some guys who know what they're doing, know how to run programs. What, how, how, what were some similarities between those guys, and what were some differences that maybe that you kind of pull from and, and use as, as a head coach? Yeah, that's a, a, a really, uh, really good question. Um, I actually think Coach Stankiewicz was a, a combination of, of both, to tell you the, the truth. Um, I think, you know, Coach Savage was coming from, I would say, maybe the USC style, and Coach Serrano was the Cal State Fullerton style, and they were the two best um, programs in Southern California at the time, um, and they were both amazing. There there were a lot of similarities, truthfully, be, between them. Um, and it's hard to even pick apart the differences, yeah. to tell you the truth. Um, 
But then coming to Coach Stankiewicz was, uh, I felt like it was a great mix for me of the college and the professional game. Mm. So, and I guess that's the best way to say it. There were subtle differences between what Coach Savage was doing and what Coach Serrano was doing, but they were pretty subtle. Um, the end of the day, um, structure was 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 similar in um, how practices were run, how a fall was run, and how a season was run. Then when I got here with Coach Stankiewicz, um, there were a lot of differences because Coach Stankiewicz had been coming from professional baseball. So he had more experience in professional coaching mm-hmm. and playing than college. He had been an assistant coach at Arizona State for three years um, before he got the, the Grand Canyon job. So it's not like he was totally new. And then he had been at Grand Canyon for two years at the D2 level. Mm-hmm. So when I'm came to work for coach Stankowitz here it was his fifth year in college coaching um but most of his beliefs that he learned about the game and development and practice planning um were based around his experiences in the professional game where he had been there for 21 seasons as a player coach and scout so I loved coming here because it was such a different experience of meshing the college game and the pro development game. And um, not to say that Fullerton and, and, and UCLA, I mean, uh, Coach Savage, they're developing pros at hmm. a higher level than anybody. But it was just seeing a different style uh, when I got here that was really, really cool. And, and trying to mesh that now as a head coach with, with what I learned from Coach Musborn, Coach Savage, Coach Serrano, all the great coaches I've played for, Coach Stankwitz, and then obviously my own style. So, you know. It's, it's probably a simplistic view, but it, it feels like many of the Power Fives, SEC especially, you know, Pac-12, they, they want to find a player who's right there, you know, right there can, can right there ready to go. Whereas right. what, what, what the, the mid-majors can do is say, hey, look, we, we're going to take a kid and we're going to take your son, and over the next three years we're going to build them into a pro prospect. They might not be a pro prospect now, but we have a system in place where we mm-hmm. can do that. And then once they get there, hanging on to them so they don't flip to go somewhere else. But yeah. that's we can spend more time because that's what we do. We build players into draftable players. Yeah, yeah. I mean, look at some of the guys that, that have come through here. Look at Pearson Ole. Um, mm-hmm. Pearson Ole, um, by the time he was a sophomore, I think it was pretty clear that Pearson Ole could pitch for anyone in the country. But when we recruited him, um, you know, as a 17, 16, 17-year-old kid, and he was throwing 84, 85 miles an hour, uh, that wasn't necessarily what – the big power fives were looking for at that time. What did we see was a great athlete who had a great arm action, fluid mechanics, and already had a great idea for pitching. Um, then you take the personality of Pearson and the worker that he <laughs> is and, and the mindset that we knew he had and um, with strength and throwing program, a consistent throwing program. And, um, you know, he ends up being a guy who's his junior year pitching 89-92 and – I think he's thrown harder than that than that now, yeah. but his his accuracy pitchability was still there. He had developed a better changeup, a better breaking ball, and he goes from a guy that didn't have any Power Five offers and very few Division One offers to a guy who's having an unbelievable year in 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 pro ball right now. So yeah, that that's where it's cool. It's really cool being a mid major coach because you're not always recruiting the five-star high school player, but you're hoping that they're the five-star coming out of, um, out of your, out of your, your program. Um, and, and that you're hoping that along the way they pass those five-star or four-star recruits to use a football analogy. We don't 
actually have stars in baseball, but to use a football, yeah, basketball right, analogy. Right. You're hoping that you find the, the two, three-star guy that develops into the five-star guy by the time they're ready to go play professional baseball. I could talk baseball forever. I'm going yeah. to close it out in a second, but, but you brought up Pierce Nolan. I wanted to ask mm-hmm. you this. I always wondered this question. You can take a kid with you got to have some skill, obviously. you got to have some talent, but you can build that in baseball, especially you can, you can uh, train that, all that stuff. That competitive mentality, though, are you born with that? Can you can you coach that up? Because my favorite story about Pearson is, I don't even remember the game. I don't remember the setting. Somebody tried to bunt on him, right? And the ball went foul, and he went over. And as the third baseman, I think Burries might have been at third. I forget who it was. Reached down to pick it up. He just kicked it. So did, he was so mad that that kid had tried to bunt on him. But it was he was always he was so competitive, yeah. and so locked in. He wasn't arrogant, but he was just so competitive. Can you teach that, or are you just born with that? A great question. I wish I knew. Uh, uh, it's um, that's probably like we've talked about. You know, um, we talk about it all the time in recruiting. We've talked about it already today. Um, it's the hardest thing to figure out. I mean, you knew that uh, Pearson had that competitiveness. I think the hardest thing to figure out is who can keep that confidence. Um, because it's not always going to be perfect tr- going from high school to college. Pearson mm. um, had the incredible ability to have a bad game and not think that he was any less of a player. So he could have a bad game uh, his freshman year, come right back the next day, and have the confidence in himself that it was a bad game. Put it behind me, I'm going to move forward. Um, instead of thinking, questioning himself like, Am I good enough? Is it, coach thought I was good enough, but am I really good enough? Mm-hmm. And I think that a lot of guys, when they get to a new level, whether it's going from high school to uh, to Division One or going from Division One to pro ball, if they don't experience immediate success, they have to ha- have that belief in themselves that um, that they're going to get through it. And then there's there's a lot of things that that we do to help them, like going to summer ball. You know, guys guys grow. Uh, in their summer ball, but what what I always, it, long story short, I don't know. I don't know how you <laughs> evaluate the competitiveness. I think you you can identify it when it happens. You see how guys bounce back from a bad performance. Um, you see their their body language on the mound or at the plate, um, and you can you can kind of say, well, okay, it didn't work out for this guy today, but I want him back on the mound because, or I want him back at the plate because he's going to give us his his best, you know. And with Pearson, you always knew that. You always knew that. Um, no matter what, he was going to go after it. Other team was going to have to beat him um, because he was going to go after it. So I, that's what you're looking for, and it's it's hard to find. So All right, Coach. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to call an into it, even though we could keep going. I love yeah. talking about it. Thanks for all the time. We'll do this again in a year after your first year yeah, yeah, in, in the books and see how it goes. Let's do it whenever whenever you want, Pot, whenever you want. You're, you're, you're the best. Thank you. Thanks, Coach. Hey, thanks for listening. We'll see you next time on the podcast.